for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. and the coming revival and people getting revived in their spirit and those songs should absolutely excite you they should revive you God is so good to us he's done so much for us he's done things that we don't even know he's done and he's already done them for us and they're for us to walk into so I'm really excited about really excited about revival and I've been reading a book uh, called, well I actually haven't been reading it, I've been listening to a book called Stay Salt. And it's for me it's a bit of a hard read, I, you know, it's nice, there's some good stories in there about giving your testimony and sharing the good news, the gospel to people, it's brilliant actually. But the, the word that kept coming through at the very start of the book for me that I kept hearing was courage, courage. You need courage to do this, you need courage to do that. So this morning I want to talk about courage, courage beyond bravery. And we've been doing this 21 days of fasting, haven't we? How are we all going with it? Are you struggling? Right now I feel as crook as a dog standing up here because I have been fasting breakfast and I'm starving. If anybody's got a little snack they want to toss to me right now, <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> Mince, don't cut it. But it's been, a, it's been a brilliant thing and I want to share some thoughts around the role that courage plays in revival. Now I'm sure if I asked you today to think of some courageous acts, you'd be able to think of them off the top of your head. And uh, I was going to do some sport courageous acts because I I talk about sport a lot. And I'm not joking, I reckon about seven people in the last day and a half said to me, ah, sport again. So I took that out of my message today. So we're not going to talk about sport, but if we did, gee, it was great, honestly. (laughs) It was fantastic. So I want to ask you this morning, who is this man? Anybody know who that bloke is? No, I don't expect you to. That bloke's name is Tim McCarthy. Tim McCarthy was a Secret Service agent during the time of Ronald Reagan. And if you remember, Ronald Reagan had an assassination attempt on him and someone, uh, Hinckley, shot at him. Uh, This guy jumped in front of the bullet and took a bullet for him, losing a lung and a spleen and some ribs and all sorts of things. Jumped in front of a bullet. Now that is courage, isn't it? to think, you don't know what's going to... He wasn't even meant to be working that day. He was meant to be on a day off. And they flipped a coin, him and his mate, and he got the detail to go and work for the president. You imagine one day you're thinking about going out with your family to the beach, and the next minute you're getting shot by a bloke who wants to kill the president. That takes courage to stand there and become a human shield for someone. And then there's this bloke. Anybody know who he is? Anyone? Desmond Doss, well done from the army man at the back there. Good stuff. Desmond Doss, what an absolute champion this bloke is. He was what the film Hacksaw Ridge was written about. He was a conscientious uh, observer. He didn't want to fight uh, any war. Uh, he just didn't want to shoot at somebody. He didn't want to kill anybody. He just wanted to go and help. Now, he saved 75 to 100 people up on Heartbreak, uh, Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa during the Japanese, uh, during the war. And uh, he did it without a gun. Everybody else had jumped off of the, the place when the Japanese attacked and invaded, and he kept running back headlong 
into the battle to go and drag people to safety. He didn't even just drag Americans to safety, he dragged Japanese people to safety who were being shot and wounded. So that guy is accredited to, winning, uh, to saving the life of around 75 people. It's an amazing thing. And he did it all because he believed the Bible said not to kill someone. His convictions is what gave him courage and bravery. I looked up the difference between courage and bravery. And normally the term gets mashed into one thing, doesn't it? You're courageous, you're very brave and all that sort of thing. But they're two completely different things. Bravery is more like a trait or an instinct. A brave person is a person that sees a dangerous situation and immediately reacts bravely without thinking. So bravery is like you don't have time to think about it. So you can imagine if you're... Car, your child's about to be hit by a car, you would run in front of that car without even thinking once what the consequence would be just to get in front of saving your child. Whereas courage, on the other hand, is seeing a situation or a dangerous or scary experience and acting even though you are scared. It's being afraid and terrified and wanting to curl up in the fetal position, but you persevere through the pain and the tough times. There's a, quite a big difference. One is unthinking still courageous, still brave to do that. But the other one is thinking, weighing up all the options of what could go wrong, the things that could happen to you, what people are going to say to you, and doing it anyway regardless. That's courage, and that's the sort of courage that brings around revival. Physical bravery attracts the most attention, like all the ones we talked about, even the footy ones that you didn't see. They were amazing. But the fo- in football, just one quick sh- sports story, if that's all right. <laughs> In football, when I played football, there's an unwritten law that if the ball's there, you've got to go and get it. You've got to go and put your head in a place where people don't want to put their feet. And if you don't, next week you don't get to play again. There's a legendary coach called John Kennedy who coached Hawthorne, and he had a saying that was, don't think, do. And that's bravery. You don't think about it. You just run headlong into, into situations and get hammered. Like what Tim McCarthy did. It's not for one second he actually sat there and thought, now... If I move to my right a little bit and jump and put my arms out like this, I'm going to attract the bullet and I'm going to save the president. He didn't do that. He saw a gun and he jumped in front of it. That's bravery. And Desmond Doss is exactly the same. I know he was in war and he would have known that people were going to be shooting at him. But running back and forward into in the movie, I don't know if it's true, it might be poetic license, but in the movie he said, just one more, Lord, just one more, and just kept running in, grabbing someone and dragging them out. That's bravery. Courage, on the other hand, allows you to run headlong into a situation that can have serious consequences, even though you've weighed up the pros and cons. You're still doing a thing that you know is going to change everything. And as great as the character is of Tim McCarthy and uh, Desmond Dawson, the footballers you never saw, as great as their character is for bravery, it's nothing compared to the character of Jesus, who knew what was going to happen to him. He sweat blood for us. He knew what was going to happen in his life, what the outcome was going to be, and yet he courageously still did the God's will. That's, that's courage beyond bravery. Now, none of us, as far as I know, are anything close to Jesus, but we have him living in him. We've been talking about Revolve for the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months. We've been talking about it since December. We're here in January. So I want to share some stories of three ordinary people who did extraordinary things in the face of fear, challenge, and the possibility of people turning on them. When I think of revival, I always think of something massive, you know. I think of thousands of people being saved, and then through those thousands of people, a thousand more get saved. That's the sort of 
revival I want to see. That's what I'm praying for. I want to see this church full. I mean, how great is it today? There's not too many empty seats. And, and I, this isn't in my notes, but I think the revival is actually starting because revival is starting with the individual right now. And, and we see it as leadership. We see the growth in people's lives. We see it happening all the time. We see that chairs are getting full again and people are wanting more from God because people actually want revival. It wasn't in my notes, it was just a freebie. I want to see thousands of people affected by the gospel, like in Acts, in the book of Acts. What an incredible book that is. Or like the great Azusa Street revival in the 1900s in California where you know thousands of people were saved and it was the birthplace of Pentecostalism. The modern Pentecostalism started in one place in California. And what I love about these revivals is they didn't start with a committee. They didn't start with a board meeting. No one came in with a folder and said, I have the blueprint for revival. It started with a few people who wanted to chase after God, who wanted more, who needed to see God move. That's how revival starts. You can't write it on a tablet. God is a creative God. God doesn't do things the same every time because by nature he is creative and he will do many new things. When the disciples were in the upper room praying, it was possible that they were actually hiding because this is after Jesus had been crucified and they weren't that popular. So crucifixion was a real thing for them too. So they had the courage to get together and be praying, but they were hiding out at the time. Azusa Street was similar. It was led by a bloke called William Seymour and six of his friends. They were praying in a room in California in 1906 of April. And when suddenly the Spirit of God hit them like a lightning bolt, they fell from their chairs onto the floor, started speaking in tongues and shouting out loud praises to the Lord. It says news quickly spread and by May 1906, people of every race, numbering up to 1,500 people, gathered together and worshipped God. In the space of a month, it had gone from six of his mates to 1,500 people worshipping God. That is revival. And this move of the Spirit went for nine years. It wasn't like a one-off, happy days. we've got 1,500 people, let's move on, see what else God's got. Nine years, that revival stayed there and spread across the world. That is amazing. All because one man, William, who was shunned from the church, he was asked to come and preach at, he came to preach, talked about speaking in tongues. He didn't speak in tongues himself, so they kicked him out. And he went to a room with a couple of mates and they started praying. And God showed up because he knew that God hadn't finished with him. He knew that that wasn't what God had called him to do. He knew that God had so much more. These guys were under pressure. You know, they were chastised by the local paper for being babbling fools. The paper said they, there was a disgraceful intermingling of races and William himself was called a one-eyed, illiterate Negro. The pressure these guys are under to serve the Lord. Incredible. Revival doesn't start with an organisation. It starts with the heart of man and woman to want more. Revival starts with tears and repentance. Revival starts when we get on our knees and ask God. We need God. Revival means a process in which something starts to grow, develop, or become successful again to bring life to or to save from death. That's what reviving is, reviving something. God revival doesn't mean to be the same as last time. Like I said, God is creative. I mean, other than those two I mentioned, we've had Brownsville, we've had Billy Graham, 
revivals, we've had the Welsh revival, and we've had the Toronto blessing. All these things were completely different with different people, and the way they started was different because our God is creative. God can do anything, but he needs us to ask. He needs us to be praying into these situations. So there are some things we can do to see a revival start with just a few faithful people. There are many stories in the Word about people who wanted to see a revival happen. So I just want to talk about three people. It says, I want to look at the life of Esther. Esther uh, taught us to stand up. As Christians, we need to stand up. Esther uh, was born <laughs> at a very young age. I don't, I don't know why that. <laughs> I didn't actually even want to say that, but there you go. <laughs> Esther was born, and she was orphaned at a very young age, is what I actually wanted to say. And she was put into the care of Mordecai. Both were Jews, but Mordecai told her to change her name. So she wasn't Esther originally, she had some other name. I know what it is, but I don't want to say it. And the Bible said she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and she caught the eye of the king. So then she went into the king's courts to become, I don't know, one of his girls, and he did, she did years of beauty treatment, it says, and to the point where she was made queen. And um, all this time, no one knew she was related to Mordecai or that she was a Jew. Mordecai then saved the life of the king. Uh, there was a plot against the king to kill him, and he heard about it, saved the life of the king. So he was great in the eyes of the king. And then the story goes on to see that Esther had heard a plan to wipe out all Jews, and Morde- all because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to the king's best mate, Haram. So Esther knew that standing before the king could surely end her life, especially as she now revealed that she was a Jew. But she courageously told the king of Haman's plot to wipe out the Jews. And the king was enraged by Haman's plot and the plans against Esther's and her people. And it says in Esther 7.7, 7, The king rose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman, 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 let's call him Haman, as H was falling on the couch with Esther. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my house? As the words left his mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Here's another one. Then Habona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing in Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. It's a long story with strange names that we don't usually know. But Esther had the guts to stand up for what she believed and stand up for her people. She knew that if she didn't, her people were going to be wiped out. She knew that if she didn't stand up for what she believed in, there was so much trouble coming for the, the Jews that she had to do it. And she had found favour with the king and he granted a wish. When we have the courage to stand up for truth, our enemies will be defeated. If we stand up for what we believe in, if we stand up for what we know is right, if we stand up for what God says, our enemies will be defeated. And the greatest thing about this, and I say this quite a bit, it wasn't just good for the Israelites or for the Jews. It was, it was good for others. It says here, it goes on in 8.17, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, 
and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for they feared the Jews. When we have the courage to stand up for what we believe in, people will see it and want what we've got and be a part of it. You know, when revival takes over here, it won't just be CRC people. It won't be just people that used to be in this church coming back. It'll be people from all out there who want more of God in their life. They want to see Jesus move. They want to see the Holy Spirit do amazing things in their life because of what we got. We need to stand up for what we believe and we need to stand up and show God to the community. We need to stand up and show God to our families. We need to stand up. The next thing we do is we need to turn up. In Acts 3, 1 to 8, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms and those entering the, of those entering the, the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and I mean, this guy wasn't a guy who just got up and said, that was good. He was leaping, he was praising God because they turned up. They were available to do something for God. They were going to pray. They were going to be with other people to seek the Lord, join their faith together. And they see a man sitting there and they pick him up and the guy's jumping and leaping for joy. What an amazing thing because they turned up. And again, like the other story, it wasn't just good for him. It goes on and on and says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an amazing thing. That because of this guy that they knew, they saw the change in his life. They were amazed and wonder. You know, Tuesday night we're having a barbecue in, in the car park and we're inviting people from the neighborhood to come in. Could you imagine if we prayed for someone who was ill and they got healed, could you imagine the ripple effect that would go on in the community? Have you heard about what Jesus can do? What an incredible thought that is. But we have to turn up. We have to be available to do it. When we show up ready to display Jesus in any situation, people notice it and want to be a part of it. It says, after the people saw what had happened, they were able to share with the crowd that it was Jesus who set the man free. So people came like, what happened? And they were able to share them. In chapter 4, it says, those who heard and believed were about 5,000 people. In a day, 5,000 heard and believed because of what they'd seen had happened because two blokes turned up. Then it says they were arrested for preaching the gospel, the saying that Jesus is Lord. Because remember, this is a time when Jesus had just been crucified and they were a bit you know, iffy about those Christians. And they were arrested and brought before the, the judges and they told them to stop preaching the gospel and they said, well, we won't do that. You do what you like, but we're not going to do that. And knowing that there was no charge against them, they let them go. Peter and John then walked probably to the upper room with their mates, probably shared about what had just happened with 5,000 people. They prayed together and then the book, and it's when Acts went nuts and the Holy Spirit turned up and people were saved and, and the gospel was shared around the world because two people decided to turn up. 
we have to have the courage needed to turn up and be ready to spread the good news wherever we go. We want to be a part of the solution to see revival happen. Can I suggest to you this? We have many things that we do in this church to be together, to pray, to build our faith. It will not just happen because we rock up on a Sunday and go, hey, that was great, I'm going home, it's an hour and a half of my time. Revival will start when we actually turn up to things and be a part of something bigger than what we are. We need to be at things. You know, Tuesday night church is a great thing. We have launch point. We have Bible groups. We have, you know, the celebration, those sort of things we need to be at. We need to be with one another, building our faith together and believing and wanting far more than we ever expected. We've been talking about that for, I don't know, what, two years? How long has launch point been going? And it all started because we were expecting more. Do we still expect more today? Do we expect Jesus to do amazing things? Do we expect to see people like Pete stand up and get out of a couch because they couldn't because the back was so bad, but through prayer he now comes in and sits in church? Do we expect that? Do we believe that that's going to happen? We need to expect more. We need to turn up and be with one another and join our faith together. Start believing that God wants far more than we've seen today. Let me just say, these things that happened in the past will happen again. If it doesn't happen here, it will happen somewhere else. God wants his word to go out. God wants his grace, his love, his freedom, his peace to go out to people. God wants to see people's lives change because he loves us beyond anything. We need to do something. We need to stand up. We need to turn up. And we need to fess up. Thanks, Broman. That's the AOG and me coming out, Pastor Kevin. Sorry about that. If we want to see revival in our lives, we need to fess up. We need to have the courage to say, I haven't got it all together. I've done plenty of things wrong. We need to be able to stand before God and say, I'm sorry. I need your help. In Luke 19, 1-10, and I love the story of Zacchaeus, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love it. Zacchaeus was a kiss. You know, he would have been quite a big deal, tax collector, rich, walked around. Nobody liked him because he was a tax collector. I mean, not many people like paying taxes, do they? But again, the heart of Zacchaeus is what drew Zacchaeus, is what drew, drew the Lord's attention. It wasn't because he was rich. It wasn't because he was important. It wasn't because he was anybody special. It was his heart. He made room in his life to get a glimpse of Jesus. He had to climb a tree. He had to raise his vision. He had to get above everything that was going on so he could see Jesus, so he could get a vision of who Jesus was. And it changed his life. Absolutely changed his life because that day he became saved. He had the courage to rise above what everybody else saw 
to get his life right with the Father. He had the courage to want more and didn't sit and wait for it to happen. He made it happen. He repented and his life was revived. Revival is going to start with the individual, with one person. It's going to start in the heart. And I know I said that, say that a lot, but really, we've got to understand that revival is not a plan. Revival is not a meeting. Revival will start when each and every one of us starts seeking God more and that will be reflected to other people. Today, if we're serious about seeing revival, we need to stand up for what we believe and have the courage to speak the truth before anyone, no matter the outcome. And there will be opposition. When God starts to move, the enemy's not going to like that. When God starts to move in your life, what do you reckon the enemy's going to do? Ah, well, good, eh? He's not. He's going to bring opposition. That's when you've got to stand on the truth. That's when you've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. We need to turn up. We need to be people who desire to be in the presence of God regularly. It's not a once a month thing and revival is going to happen. We need to be praying regularly, fasting regularly, expecting more from God regularly, day to day. You know, this isn't just something we do in our life, church. Sunday is not what we do. Our lives as Christians is every day. Every day we need to turn up. Every day we need to be seeking God. Every day we need to be praying for the lost. Every day we need to be praying for people who we love to see and come to God. That's when revival is going to start. We need to turn up. And we need to have the courage to admit that we haven't got it all together. You know, we talk about bravery running headlong through walls and that sort of thing. And and those sort of people amaze me. We need a humble courage. We need a courage that says... I'm not good enough. I can't do this by myself. I need you, God. We need to empty ourselves of self and our needs and our wants and we need to fill up on the needs of God and what God wants and what God wants to see happen. That's what we need. We need a humility in our courage. We don't need to go smashing through walls and making lots of noise. We need to get on our knees. Revival will start in tears and repentance. We need to be on our knees saying we need more of you, God. We need more of you, Holy Spirit. And when that happens, it's going to flow out from here. It won't be contained. It won't just stay in this room. We will see people coming in left, right and centre. And we're already beginning to see it because we're seeing that people want more from Jesus. People want more from their walk with God. We're seeing it already. Let's continually pray that we're going to keep seeing it. I probably should have asked the Musos back. I get a little bit carried away. When we've completely emptied ourselves of ourselves, that's when revival's going to start. So can I encourage you today, this is no big altar call, can I encourage you today as you continue on with your 21 days, what have we got, five days left? So, three days left, can I, can I encourage you, continue on with it, keep seeking God, yeah I'm two days behind, yeah so it's five days for me, continue on with it, keep seeking God. Because it's not about a program that goes to 21 days. This is a kickstart to how we should be living our lives. We need to be absolutely 100% brawny. We need to be every day seeking God, asking God for revival, giving up things that we're comfortable with. We are so comfortable in this society. You wonder why in other nations that God's turning up and revival's happening because they've got nothing else to hang on to. They need to hang on to God. We've got everything we want in this society. Whatever we want to do, we can do and feel good about it and it makes us feel good about ourselves we need more of Jesus in our lives that's what we need
you've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.